0: covering all aspects of milwaukee brewers baseball it's time for brewers extra innings the podcast here is your host matt Pauley.
1: it is time for another edition of brewers extra innings the podcast powered by wtmj mobile my name is matt Pauley. we're with you for another week's worth of talk about the milwaukee brewers a couple featured guests on this week In our social media conversation, Kyle Loebner is going to join us. You read him in the Shepherd Express, also uh, over at the Timber Rattlers website, and then later on the program, a first-time guest onto the program with the Brewers changing their Triple A affiliate this year from Colorado Springs to San Antonio. Uh, I guess they didn't change it. Colorado Springs lost Triple A baseball and it went to San Antonio and all that sort of stuff. But uh, either no matter how you put it, the Brewers have a new Triple A team in San Antonio. Their broadcaster, Mike Sager, is going to join us for our uh, Down on the Farm conversation. And that's going to be coming up in just a little while as well. A couple housekeeping items to get out of the way here, as we always do at the top of the podcast. If you want to uh, get in contact with me, best way to do so is via Twitter. Find me at Matt Pawley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. And if you do listen to this podcast via Apple Podcast, and you can subscribe and leave in a ranking and review all those things are very, very good, so hopefully uh, you have the uh, opportunity to uh, do that. Was a was an interesting week. was a very interesting week for the Brewers. This is one of those weeks where a couple notable things ended up going down. And as we look back on it, really the first thing that felt a little bit different was what happened uh, with the Chase Anderson injury and the way that ended up all playing out. Uh, They had taken the first couple games of their series against the Rockies. And then uh, Chase Anderson was uh, set to pitch in what would have been uh, game number three on Wednesday evening. And all of a sudden we find out just prior to the start of the game that Anderson had a, uh, a, a contusion or a laceration is the word I'm looking for on his hand. And he was going to be unable to make the start. And that put into motion just a weird night of things that happen. Jacob Barnes makes his first career start as Barnes is warming up. Uh, he, we see that, or as Barnes is in the game, I should say, we look out to the bullpen and we see Corbin Burns warming up, and we didn't think Burns was on the roster. We didn't even know he was in Milwaukee. Turns out uh, they were able to make a roster move just prior to first pitch, putting Anderson on the injured list and activating Burns. They brought Burns back from AAA San Antonio with the idea to activate him the next day for him to be in the bullpen, which was a bit of a different uh, plan than we'd heard. Everything the Brewers had said previously previously was that they were going to stick with Burns as a starter that's where his future was and not that's not where his future is now but the idea of him being a bullpen pitcher again was uh, completely taken off the table and evidently the signing of Gio Gonzalez and what goes along with that created an opportunity for them to bring him back and put him in the bullpen and hope that uh, he makes the team better that way. So just everything that went down from the injury to Burns getting activated to people not even knowing why he was in Milwaukee to his role changing, uh, that was an odd turn of events. And then you want to talk about odd things happening That absolutely is one of the many words you could use to describe what happened on Saturday night as the Brewers and the Mets play 18 innings, an 18-inning contest, 1-8, 18 innings, uh, something that had never happened in the history of Miller Park. It was the longest game in terms of innings ever played at Miller Park. The Brewers were able to uh, score a couple runs in the third, and they were not heard from again until the 18th inning. And in that uh, 18th inning, they put up two runs after the Mets had scored a single run in the top of the 18th. The game-winning run, or the game-winning runs, or the tying run and the winning run uh, were driven in by Ryan Braun, who had six hits in the game, uh, basically jumped his batting average, about 40 points over the co- course of that contest with those six uh, hits. And over the three games where he had multi-hits going, uh, the two games leading up to Saturday's contest, he was able to uh, raise his average close to 70 points. Just some craziness going on there. And s- kind of lost in all that. And what happened is the Brewers were able to sweep the Mets. And the Mets aren't a very good team. I'm not, I'm not trying to sit here and say that they went out and, you know, they they were able to sweep a team that's going to win the World Series this year because that's not going to happen. The Mets aren't a great team, but something that did happen over the course of the three games is they were able to sweep the Mets. They didn't give up a lot of runs. Starters pitched well. The bullpen had a a nice performance. The team ERA really dropped significantly. It went from 5.20 to 4.79. I'm not going to tell you a 4.79 team ERA is a good ERA to have, but that's a significant drop. And There was so much worry about Brewers pitching, and rightfully so. Uh, It wasn't performing at a high level, and there were guys who were getting beat up pretty good on too normal of a basis. But the Brewers also had played the toughest schedule in all of Major League Baseball. I always say you can only play the schedule that the schedule makers give you, and more often than not, I'm saying that in regards to a team having a lot of success against maybe some not so great teams. I'll say that as well when you're playing against a lot of really good teams. You play the schedule that's given to you, and whether you're performing well or not performing well, using the schedule as an excuse isn't something that I love to jump to, but there's no doubt that who the Brewers are playing, and how often they were playing the exact same teams, see the Dodgers, see the Cardinals, uh, was th- that had an impact on the pitching. It's not the only reason they had the elevated ERA. I'm not making excuses for them, but it plays into it. it. It played into it. At the end of the day, you still need to execute your pitches. You still need to be successful. They weren't able to do that. But during the series against the Mets, they started to do that a little bit more, and we spent a ton of time talking uh, on on my post-game show, on WTMJ, on social media. I think we touched on it on this podcast last week, if I remember correctly. It's all kind of a blur about Chris Hook. And my question continues to be, and he's the Brewers pitching coach, if you're not familiar with him, and a lot of people uh, don't like him because of the numbers that are being put up. And I, just, I continue to think that that's not a fair stance right now on Hook. I don't think there's enough data to be able to really judge him because everybody's judging him against Derek Johnson and Johnson was did a really good job and no way am I trying to discount how good of a pitching coach uh, DJ is he's a fantastic pitching coach but Chris Hook might be a fantastic pitching coach as well and there's different guys that's the big thing the only way you can really compare uh, Chris Hook and DJ and this you can't actually do this but I'm trying to make a point here the only way you could really tell what impact and which one is better than the other would be able to go through all of last season or any season and then hop in the DeLorean and go back in time and remove Johnson and place Hook in and see what kind of results those same guys have. And and clearly that that's not possible. It's uh back to the future isn't real. So there's no real way. All we can do is sit here and wait to see what guys do and what the, how everybody looks uh, moving forward. So I, I did something on uh, my Brewers Weekly show this past week where we were getting call after call after call from people saying, fire Chris Hook. Chris Hook shouldn't be the pitching coach. Biggest mistake ever made was uh, losing uh, DJ. And my challenge was for somebody to call up and tell me what – Hook is or is not doing that Johnson did or did not do. I never got an answer. So I'm not educated enough. I, I can't tell you uh the difference between the two. I know there are things that DJ did really well. I think one of the best things he did was uh work with pitchers to be able to identify how to make them their best self. That was something that was really cool about Derek Johnson. But Chris Hook might be able to do that as well. We're still learning about him. And so far from the crowd, for the, the, the fire Chris Hook crowd has not yet given me the differences between him and Johnson. All they've done is focus on the results of this year with different guys and in different circumstances. And it's just not a fair thing to do it's not a it's not a fair thing to do at this point in time. I do think I do think there is some uh some credibility, some and, and look, they're about to play the Nationals in a three-game series. If they lose two out of three or get swept or something like that, we can probably back off the statement that I'm about to make. But I do think there is something to be said that winning that game on Saturday night in 18 innings, teams have galvanizing moments. Teams have, you, there are seasons where you can look back at a single game, a single week, a single occurrence, and say that was the thing that really propelled the team moving forward. And I don't know if that Saturday night game is going to be that or not, but it certainly feels like there's a possibility that it could be. That was an important win for this club. That was a really important one for this club, and it brought guys together. And uh, it was fun. It was fun. To, it wasn't fun maybe in the fifteenth, sixteenth innings, but uh, as that thing went along, it, uh, it it turned into some fun, and it was uh, enjoyable to see how they were able to win the game. All right, this week on the program again, our uh, featured guest. We're going to be joined by Kyle Loebner in just a few moments. Uh, later on in the hour, Mike Sager, the broadcaster for the San Antonio Missions, he is going to uh, join us on the broadcast. But right now, let's get to this week's Headlines of the Week.
0: It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of a summer or winter, there's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week.
1: So each week in Headlines of the Week, I go through the transactions of the past week. It's really tough to do that with as many transactions as the Brewers have had. And in Adam McAlvey's pregame story, that he wrote for Brewers.com, MLB.com prior to Sunday's game. He went through all the moves that the Brewers made from a pitching standpoint over the course of the last week. Uh, the, the big thing in the story was Burt Smith getting his uh, contract purchased and being added to the 40-man roster and being brought up from Triple A San Antonio. Smith was three and one with a 1.37 ERA for the missions and Uh, I think we might see him pitch on Tuesday in a starting role. I don't know. We still have not been given. As I record this on Sunday night, we have not been given a starting pitcher for Tuesday. Uh, They they were in such dire need for pitching and length out of the bullpen after the 18-inning game. I don't think you call up Birch Smith and immediately say he's going to be the Tuesday starter because They needed individuals who were available in the bullpen to just eat innings if something would have gone wrong with Zach Davies on Sunday. Well, Davies ends up going uh, seven plus innings, and they were fine. They only needed an inning and a third out of the bullpen. They got one out from Matt Albers, they got three outs from Josh Hader, and that kind of resets the bullpen into a much better place. So, Smith was available the fact that he was not used on Sunday maybe sets him up to be the starting pitcher on Tuesday he had been starting at San Antonio so certainly a chance that he's going to be uh, in that role but I'm going to read this again and it's from uh, I've read this a few times I read this on the post game show on Sunday I tweeted this out as well because I just think it's incredible what the Brewers have done in terms of transactions with pitchers over the course of the last week and a half. And instead of me trying to tell the story, I'll just let a talented writer like Adam McAlvey tell it, and I will read it, and you can uh, see this for yourself in Adam's story at uh, MLB.com. In the last nine days, the Brewers formally signed Gio Gonzalez, reinstate Junior Guerra from the bereavement list, Send Freddy Peralta on a rehab assignment and bring him back. Place Chase Anderson and Aaron Wilkerson on the injured list. Call up Jay Jackson, Donnie Hart, Corbin Burns, Adrian Hauser, and Burt Smith. Send down Jackson Hart. Uh, Taylor Williams, Jacob Barnes, and they designate for assignment Jake Patrishka, Alex Wilson, and Jay Jackson. And just my own note on that, Patrishka and Wilson both clear there with San Antonio. Uh, Jackson is going through that process as we talk on Sunday night. That's an incredible incredible list of transactions for a team to have. And for the Brewers to continue to win games when that's going on with your pitching – is pretty. I'm just using the word "incredible" over and over and over. I need to increase my vocabulary, but it's it's good stuff. And I think it's credit to Craig council that they're continuing to win baseball games. That they're four games above 500 as of Sunday night. Uh, with that sort of carousel going on uh, on this roster, it's uh, it's pretty incredible. And kudos to the Brewers for. Being in a, not maybe not for being in the position that they have to do that, but you can't. There's some circumstances that you just have to deal with, you can't do anything. Uh, once they start going into place, and the fact that they have continued to play at a, at a pretty solid level, uh, with all that happening is, uh, is a credit to uh, the team and the credit to uh, manager Craig Council. Uh, Lorenzo Kane, he got banged up on Sunday, he hit the wall hard, got the wind knocked out of him, making a catch, and then he was hit. Uh, in the fingers by a pitch and came out of the game. It was just a contusion. Nothing was broken. That's really, really good news. He is not expected to play on Monday. So uh, he, he says he'll be back in the lineup coming up on Tuesday. Brent Suter was back in the house. If you were watching uh, any of the games on Fox Sports Wisconsin, you certainly saw him. Right now, Suter is continuing to go through the rehab process, and uh, that is being done in Arizona. But something the Brewers are doing is they're going to bring their uh, rehabbing players in into Milwaukee to just be around the team uh, for a few days here, a few days there. So Suter moved his rehab to Milwaukee. He'll head back to Arizona at some point. We'll see Corey Knable. We'll see uh, Bobby Wall as well as uh, they will join the team just to uh, keep everybody kind of uh, together alluded to the fact that we still don't know who is going to be the starter on Tuesday. Freddie Peralta was in that spot. He struggled again his last time out, and uh, that everything's up in the air right now. Corbin Burns did come back from AAA, but as we mentioned earlier, he's being used as a bullpen guy. There's always a chance he could end up starting a game, uh, and they could even kind of call it a bullpen game with Burns as the starter. Uh, but right now that spot is uh, up in the air and it has to do with uh, the inconsistencies of Freddie Peralta. Those are this week's headlines
0: of the week. After every Brewers game signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now.
1: Brewers x Trains, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. We do continue on with today's show. It's time for our social media conversation. We welcome in Kyle Loebner. You can uh, read him uh, in the Shepherd Express. There's a weekly piece there. You can read him at the uh, Timber Rattlers uh, website with his uh, weekly Frosty Microbrew. And, of course, follow him on Twitter at Kyle Loebner Loebner Loebner's L O B. N E R, yeah, I got that right. All right, Kyle, I-, I spelled your name correctly. Now let's bring you in. How are you doing? I'm doing
2: great. Now that just spelled my name correctly. How are you?
1: I- I'm good. That's the uh, that's that's the standard that we're setting. If I can spell your name correctly, I am in uh, I'm in good shape. Let's um let's start with the big question. Did you make it through all 18 innings of Saturday night's Brewers Mets game?
2: I'm as surprised as anybody, but yes, I did. Um, I, I was starting to to get tired, starting to drift a little bit around the the ninth inning, actually, because uh, I'm getting old, and so I go to bed pretty early now. Uh, but no, I I made it through all 18 innings, and so I I did get to see just kind of an array of fascinating performances for the Brewers team, um, a historic day for Ryan Braun, some really great bullpen performances. Yeah, I was there for all of it.
1: What's uh the the kind of one of the narratives right now from people is. You know, maybe that's the win this team needed. Maybe that's the galvanizing win. That's the that's the thing that gets things rolling. Now, if they don't win Sunday, or if they go lose two out of three against Washington, we're never talking like that again. It's just kind of a you know we we just look at it as a single game and not more than that. But we're talking on Sunday. They completed the series sweep Sunday afternoon, just hours after that uh, game two ended. Do you think winning a game like an eighteen inning contest in the fashion in which they? won it. Can that kind of represent more than just a, a single win? Can that be a big moment for this team?
2: I mean, I'm sure it varies clubhouse to clubhouse, but I feel like once you get to like the 16th or 17th or 18th inning, um, that game really has the opportunity to be either a, a galvanizing force and kind of a, a rallying point and a big high point of the season, or just an enormous gut punch. You know, if you go through that whole game, you have earned your whole bullpen. Um, and if Taylor Williams had given up that run in the top of the 18th and they had not scored in the bottom of the 18th, it's an entirely different narrative around this team uh, with an exhausted bullpen and didn't even get a win out of it. Um, and so it, it's not unlike the, the Jordan Lyles game from last mm-hmm. year. Uh, if you're going to play that long, uh, when you win, it becomes a great story. Uh, And when you win, I think it's probably at least a little bit easier to bounce back from it the next day um, and try to go out and get another one. Uh, And fortunately for the Brewers, uh, this is two years in a row they've had a game like that. Now, does this carry any momentum past today? I have no idea. Uh, You know, that really varies clubhouse to clubhouse. This is a group that's been relatively good at shrugging off tough losses. Um, This is a group that doesn't seem to get too high when things are going well. But yeah, obviously, if you're going to play a game that long, um, there is a, a fair amount at stake, I would say, emotionally.
1: It's interesting you bring up the Jordan Lyles game because the thing I remember about that game last year was I think there was a Packers game going on the same night. Uh, There was something else going on. So there was absolutely no media covering that game. I remember being like one of three people who were covering. I was in the clubhouse because we didn't have a post game show because I think it was a Packers game was on WTMJ. This year, uh, Ted Thompson is being inducted in the Packers Hall of Fame. All the TV folks are there. Plus, it's a weekend, so you generally have a few less people. So it was once again a very small contingent of individuals who were covering the 18 inning games. Something about these two games the last two years have not uh, included a, a lot of people there covering the game and what each time were pretty important games.
2: Yeah, and I think there's probably also a media way covering the Bucks playoff run. Yeah. Um but yeah, it is unfortunate uh when the Brewers occasionally end up having to play second fiddle to some of their neighbors here in the state, especially when this brewer team is really good and some of those other teams are not. Um and so yeah, I I think um hopefully the the members of the media who were not present or the organizations that did not have someone present learned at least a little bit of their lesson because they could have been a part of a really great story.
1: It, it, so I'll tell you this, you know, and gosh, I hope I don't sound like I'm somebody who's complaining or anything like that. And I know there's 99% of the people who are listening to this podcast right now would change jobs change positions with me in a split second and i've never forgotten that so I, I i say that knowing this i'm I'm so blessed with what i get to do but human nature you sit through a five and a half hour game that's a long night at the ballpark like that, it, it wears on you a little bit so i'm sitting there and through the 16th and the 17th innings i'm getting a little tired and this is okay let's get this thing over with and Once it got to 18 innings and it becomes the longest game in Miller Park history, and then the way it ended, man, I I did a 180. I was so happy that I got to be at that ballpark and experience that and watch it. I just thought it was the coolest thing to be a part of, and whether somebody was at Miller Park or listening to the game on the radio or watching on TV, I think for the people who experienced all 18 innings, no matter how they did it, it was kind of a cool thing to be a part of.
2: Yeah, and I think... You know, there's a, there's a middle ground in there. Um, you know, when, when you go to a game or when you're covering a game and you're in the press box that's relatively quiet and you're not getting the, the fan atmosphere and that game goes 12 or 13 innings, you know, or it goes four and a half hours, there's kind of a, a middle area where it's like, okay, this is, you know, long and I'm here longer than I intended to be and I'd hope to be in bed by now. Um, and it's not a story yet. And then you get the point, like about the 16th, 17th inning, um, where you're starting to talk about the longest games in the history of a ballpark, where you're starting to talk about, you know, you're starting to remember that this week is the anniversary of the Brewers' 25-inning game against the White Sox. Um, And then it becomes, to me at least, uh, there comes a point where you start to embrace the chaos. Um, Like, you know, this didn't go the way you thought this day was going to go. Um, But at the end of the day, it's going to be a phenomenal story to tell. Um, and this is the second year in a row the Brewers have provided us one of those.
1: Then the next day, on Sunday, Zach Davies goes out and throws seven and two-thirds innings on a day where there was very little bullpen support, manager Craig Council prior to the game openly spoke about the fact that uh, Davies was going to be asked to do more, and he was going to be pushed more than they normally push a starter, and he steps up in a big way, throws more pitches than he's ever thrown in his career, started an inning when he was already past uh, 100 pitches, and I'm not trying to make too much of something, and and, you know sometimes you get uh, you make the story too big, but from a from like a standpoint of a baseball standpoint, also from just a standpoint of being a good teammate and being a good man and all that sort of stuff, like Zach Davies had his teammates' backs. And that says something about Davies as a guy as well. I was so impressed from so many levels with what Davies was able to do on Sunday.
2: Yeah, I think it's possible that one of the more undercovered stories of this Brewer team this year is the fact that Zach Davies has really stepped up this year. Uh, When you look at how he started each of the last two seasons um, and the work that he kind of had to do to get to being a productive pitcher, for him to come out and have a great start to the season, uh, I think is a thing we probably don't talk about often enough, that Zach Davies, who is still a relatively young guy, is starting to turn that corner, or at least maybe starting to turn that corner from a guy where you don't know what you're going to get uh, to one of the more reliable Brewer pitchers. Um, and we saw something today that we don't see a lot with young pitchers anymore. We do not see guys asked to go out and throw as many pitches as he did. We very rarely see Zach Davies expected to face you know all the way through the third time through the order, much less the fourth um Today, on a day when the Brewers needed him to do it, he went out and he did a great job with that. And I think, you know, this is a story that as the year goes along may be a really notable thing for this team. If he can take that step from being, you know, a guy who might be a great starting pitcher to a guy who is a great starting pitcher. Um, that would be a, a really big deal for this organization going forward.
1: Well, I, I know that he was partially injured last year, but we're talking about a guy who goes from really not being a part of the playoffs last year to now being 4-0 with a 1.56 ERA in the first month of May and top five in the National League in ERA. There's a lot of baseball left to be played, but just when you compare the end of last season to where we're at right now, that's a that that goes on to just kind of supplement what you're talking about, how good of a story it is.
2: Yeah, and I think... You know, when you see a guy who, was, who pitched as much as Zach Davies did both three years ago and two years ago, then he has a year like last year uh, where he just cannot get healthy. Um, he's not tremendously effective when he does pitch. The Brewers have to go long stretches of time without him. There's a direction that story usually goes, and it's not this one. Um, so for him to come out and have a really great start to the season, for him to come to spring training really ready to go, um, and for him to be one of the driving forces behind what this Brewer team has been successful over the first month-plus is a, a really great story. And like I said, I don't know that we talk about that enough.
1: And he, I was talking about this with Craig Kishon on my post-game show on Sunday. Uh, he's also somebody who kind of represents – The start of the rebuild because he was part of that Domingo Santana trade that Doug Melvin pulled off, and that was that was that first trade after they decided that they needed to tear this thing down and start to rebuild it. And now that Santana has moved on, you want to look at that that first guy that you know that's still part of the organization that was one of the first pieces of the rebuild. It's Davy, so we're we're just writing a really good story on him right now.
2: Yeah, and I think on top of that, you're talking about a guy who gets guys out relatively unconventionally, at least in the modern era. You know, I I had, uh, during my work with the Timber Rattlers, and I certainly won't name the organization on this, but I had a scout from another organization um, last year come into our press box and say, every single pitcher that he sees that is right-handed that throws under 92 with their fastball, he marks as a non-prospect. You know, this is a guy who, um, by all accounts, could have been written off. Um, just based on what his arsenal looks like, based on the fact that he does not light up the radar gun, he's turned into a very successful starting pitcher. Um, and the reason I remember that story specifically is because that same scout was still in the building when Zach Davies came in on a re assignment later in the week. And I kind of <laughs> wanted to pick his brain about that. Um, but nonetheless, this is uh, turning into a really great story for this Brewer team um, in a variety of ways. And kudos to everyone involved for picking out Davies as a guy who could be successful in Milwaukee, and kudos to Davies for doing the work necessary to be there.
1: Want to go into a couple? Actually, one more thing before we do that. I was I, I jumped the gun. One more question, kind of about the way the team is playing. When the um, when the series against the Mets got started, the team ERA was five point two zero. When the series against the Mets ends, the team ERA is 4.79. Now it helps to play the Mets, who are not a very good team. It helps that one of those games goes 18 innings, so essentially it counts for two games. But in three games, dropping your team ERA from 5.20 to 4.79, that's that's remarkable. Uh, did, where are you in terms of confidence level that this, this pitching staff is is starting to turn it around a little bit, and this can become more of a trend that they are pitching better?
2: Well, I think certainly not playing the Cardinals or Dodgers every single game is going to make any pitching staff start to look better. Yeah, Um, This is a a Brewer team that had an opportunity for this week to go really poorly. Um, When you look at the volume of pitchers they had to bring up, Um, When you look at things like the the disaster day in the Rocky series where Chase Anderson all of a sudden wasn't able to pitch and they burned through the entire bullpen, when they've still got games, I think, eight consecutive days, you know the moves they've had to make, the guys they've had to shuttle in and out, Uh, this was a week that could have been a real disaster uh, for this team. And for them to come out and have a win like the one Saturday night against the Mets where they use every pitcher and everybody pitches well, Um, I do think we are seeing this Brewer pitching staff, A, we're seeing some of the core members start to get it back together a little bit um, after a little bit of a rough start, Um, but B, we're seeing something that made this team really effective last year. We're seeing that they've got uh, a level of organizational depth that allows them to shuttle guys in and out and expect them to be effective, Um, and that was a thing that they rode to great success a year ago, so I think it has to be really encouraging that as we're seeing this formula start to come together, as we're seeing them have to go to plan C and plan D on different days, there are still guys waiting Um, that can be effective at the big league level. There are still guys waiting that they can count upon in high leverage innings that can come in and get the job done. Um, and I think there's not a lot of organizations that have that, and there's certainly not a lot of organizations that have used that as effectively as the Brewers have in recent years.
1: I've already read this paragraph from an Adam McCalvey, uh an MLB.com piece that came out prior to the game on Sunday, but I'll read it again because I think it's just it, it's remarkable. The Brewers have liberally made use of roster moves for several years, but circumstances have demanded a new level of activity in the past nine days. In that span alone, the Brewers have formally signed Gio Gonzalez, reinstated Junior Gar from the bereavement list, sent Freddy Peralta on a rehab assignment and brought him back, placed Chase Anderson and Aaron Wilkerson on the 10-day injury list, called up Jay Jackson, Donnie Hart, Corbin Burns, Adrian Hauser, and Burt Smith, sent down Jackson, Hart, Williams, and Jacob Barnes, designated for assignment Jake Patricka, Alex Wilson, and Jay Jackson. That's a week and a half of moves involving pitchers, Kyle. That for for Craig Council to manage through that kind of movement in the bullpen, and for them to pull off what they did in the last week and a half, and still be above five hundred, this is this is incredible to see what's happening. Yeah, I mean,
2: certainly this wasn't exactly the plan. <laughs> um, I, I don't think Craig Council and David Stearns ever intended to have you know, 17 pitching moves or whatever it was in a span of nine days. Um, but the fact that they were able to do it and remain effective um, says really positive things about just about everybody across the board. Um, whether it's the, the individuals involved who have been willing to accept kind of a role where they have to sit in San Antonio and wait for their chance um, and they're ready on a moment's notice when they need to be, whether it's David Stearns who accumulated a group of guys that can be kind of interchangeable this way and still be effective, whether it's the Brewers' clubhouse um, that continues to be a, a positive place between games, you know, despite the fact that two or three spots in the roster seemingly turn over every single day, um, whether it's Craig Council putting these guys in positions to succeed, um, despite the fact that it's a new group out there every day. A lot of things have to come together to be able to do what the Brewers did this week and do it well. Um, and, and I think really without any of those elements, um, this could have been a real challenge. Um, and this could have been a week that we're talking about in a very different light. All
1: right, let's get into some of the stuff you have uh, written recently uh, at the Express. I love this. I, I liked that you were able to kind of really put a, uh, a numerical uh, representation, or not even representation, that you were able to put some hard facts uh, kind of into what the Miller Park roof means to this team in terms of being able to play games against uh, versus teams that get rainouts and how that can affect the team down the stretch of the season, which clearly it did last year. So, uh, encourage everybody to go to Shepard Express and uh, read this for themselves, but it really does impact this team from a win loss perspective that they never have to worry about home rainouts. Yeah, I think,
2: you know, that there's two elements to it. One is that the, the Miller Park roof means there will never be a rainout at home. The other is that they've had relatively good luck on the road this year. Um, and right before I wrote that story, they had had a day that probably could have been a rainout in New York that they did not end up having to reschedule because they got that game in. Um, but this is a Brewer team that down the stretch last year really benefited from having more off days than all of their competitors. Um, I think from mid-August to the end of the season, they had nine off days. The Cubs had four um, in a stretch of like 41 games in 41 days or something along those lines. Um, and this is a, a team now that because of the Miller Park roof, because they were able to get in four games in their opening series, um, and because they've been able to play you know, every scheduled game, came into this week um, several games played ahead of all of their rivals. Um, As of last Monday, they had played four more games than the Pirates and Cubs had. Um, And that's a thing that, as the season goes along, certainly benefits the Brewers. Um, And the fact that they've been able to tread water through this stretch, I think bodes well for their ability to uh, really gain some ground on their rivals once it gets to be the time when, A, the Brewers get to play some weaker competition, and B, the Brewers get a little more rest uh, than the teams that they are chasing or the teams that are chasing them. Um, so this was a big storyline down the stretch in 2018, um, and I was happy to get the opportunity to note that it's becoming a story already in 2019.
1: And your uh, your most recent piece uh, over at uh, the Timber Eddlers uh, website, your most recent Frosty Microbrew, I think fans should really read this. This is interesting because uh, – you have all the short season clubs that do not begin their seasons until midway through the Major League Baseball season. A lot of those coaches just stay at the, you know, stay are part of the extended spring training staff and are down in Arizona. But some of those coaches will go to the full season affiliates and help out for at least a while. And uh, the Dominican, uh, the Brewers affiliate in the Dominican League, uh, their pitching coach, Victor Moreno, spent uh, some time uh, with the Timber Rattlers in the month of April. What kind of impact did that have on the club, and what did you learn kind of about about him in that situation when you got the chance to talk to him?
2: Well, there's a few things about having Victor Moreno around that was really great. And Victor spent most of the month of April with the Timber Radlers. Um He is usually the coach down in the Dominican Summer League, so he had to acquire some winter clothing that he perhaps would not normally have required. Uh, to spend the month of April in the Midwest League. Um, but Victor um brings a wealth of experience. He's a guy who pitched fifteen professional seasons. He has pitched internationally. He's pitched an independent ball. He's pitched in winter ball. Um and so the variety of experience that he has acquired um I think makes him really beneficial Around a young pitching staff, there are things that would have taken these guys a long time to learn on their own that they can pick up from a guy like Victor. Uh, the second thing that was really nice about having him around, uh, the, the, the Timber Rattlers have a rookie pitching coach in Jim Henderson. This is his first professional pitching coach assignment. Um, he is working with the Timber Rattlers this year, and so having one more set of eyes around, having you know one more guy to keep a, a lookout for things, I think really helps Jim as well settle into that role. Um, and so it's great that the Brewers do this with the coaches from the short season affiliates. I'm sure other organizations do it as well, although I don't know if they've done it to the same extent that the Brewers have. But just about every year, in April and May, um, we will see you know, coaches come in from the other teams and spend a couple weeks or spend a road trip or spend a homestand with this team. And it's always great to get that extra perspective. Um, and some of the guys that have done it before are managers in the organization now. Uh, Nestor Corridor, who will be with the, uh, I almost said Helena, that's a dollar in the jar for me, (laughs) but in the the Pioneer League this year, uh, Rafael Neda, who manages one of the Brewers' two affiliates in the Arizona Summer League, um, has also been in this role before. And it's great for these guys to get an opportunity to come see what Midwest League Baseball looks like and to experience um, life at this level. Um, but it's also great for the coaching staff to have you know, one more guy to throw batting practice or one more guy to watch bullpen sessions and to help them make the most out of developing the 25 to 28 guys that are in the clubhouse any given day.
1: Maybe I'm making a leap here. If I am, it's certainly not the first time I have made such leap. But I think there's some uh, some similarities to the decision to take some of these uh, short-season coaches and get them to full season affiliates, and the fact that uh, the Brewers also this year are taking rehabbing players and allowing them to spend some of their rehab time around the Major League team. Brent Suter was with the club uh, this past week uh, away from Arizona. Corey Knable is going to make his way in it at some point in time. It just seems when when the organization gets the opportunity to – create inclusion to get guys to to be around other guys that they they jump at that is that a is that a leap for me comparing the two or would you agree with that
2: I don't know that they're identical situations, but I think across the board they speak to an organizational culture that the brewers have built um, that, at the very least, seems to be a big part of the recent success. And it, there's always the, the discussion of whether success leads to good chemistry or good chemistry leads to success. The answer is probably a little bit of both. Uh, But this is a a Brewers organization that has gone way out of their way and done a really good job of making sure everyone feels like they're part of the same organization. You know, whether it's things like the minor league guys and the big league guys um, changing in the same locker in the same clubhouse down in Maryvale, um, you know, making sure that the guys who would be rehabbing down in Arizona are with the team, uh, making sure the minor league coaches get an opportunity to see each other and experience what each other is seeing, um, this is all part of having an organization that doesn't feel like, you know, collections of small groups. It feels like one organization working together to try to win a World Series. All
1: right, Kyle, great stuff as always. Uh, do you want to give a preview, maybe, uh, whether it's uh, Frosty Microbrew or Shepherd Express, what people can uh, be seeing, uh, what you're working on uh, for some upcoming pieces?
2: Yeah, I think on Monday morning my newest, or my newest on deck circle will go up at ShepherdExpress.com. This week we're going to talk a little bit about Keston Hira. Uh, who is off to a really great start down in San Antonio. Um, I I think some Brewer fans will be aware of this, but I don't know if it's been reported as much as it has with some of the other really successful players around baseball and the minors. Um, We are getting close to the point where we have to talk about Keston Hira as a viable big leaguer. Um, And and that's going to be an interesting challenge for the Brewers because they really don't have a clear spot for him at this point. So we'll talk a little bit about all that, about his rapid ascent through the minors, some of his successes, some of the challenges that might create, um, and more on Monday in the on-deck circle at Shepard Express.
1: Coming up in just a moment or so, I'm going to have uh, Mike Sager on, who is the broadcaster for the San Antonio Missions. Should my first question to him be about Keston Hira, or should it be about be, uh, about Jimmy Nelson?
2: Uh, I think I would probably go with Jimmy Nelson okay. first, just because I think so many of us have been waiting so long to see Jimmy pitch in the game again. Uh, but Kessner here should not be far behind.
1: Okay, that's that's what's going to happen. He's going to join us in a bit, and uh, because of Kyle, I'm going to ask about Jimmy Nelson first. Kyle, always great to talk to you. I encourage people to uh, read you at the Shepherd Express, at the Timber Rattlers website. Follow you on Twitter, at, by Kyle Loebner. Uh, thanks so much for your time, and we'll do this again real soon.
2: Sounds good. Take
0: care. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers Miter League affiliates as we go down on the farm.
1: Brewers Extra is the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time to go down on the farm. For the first time ever, we are welcoming on to the broadcast... He is uh, the broadcaster for the San Antonio Missions, the new AAA affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers. He is Mike Sager. Mike, thank you so much for taking some time. How are you?
3: Hey, my pleasure, Matt. I've been great. It's been a fun ride for the first month of the season and, uh, you know, excited to... uh talk to some Brewer fans out there, and you know, hopefully some of the folks have been following the uh, ball club a little bit in between following Milwaukee, obviously.
1: Yeah, I want to talk to you uh, about a number of guys and also about the affiliation switch in San Antonio, going from a double-A market to a triple-A market. We'll get to all that, but I'd be remiss if I... If... All I do here is answer questions about Jimmy Nelson. I can't tell you for the better part of the last two years I have taken question after question after question about Jimmy Nelson so now I get to turn the tables on that one We're talking on Sunday night Jimmy Nelson pitched on Sunday Uh, The the numbers looked okay but you saw it. What do you take away from Nelson's first rehab appearance?
3: Well, you know, I think stuff wise it looked like everything was good i think the main thing is that um you know there's a little bit of rust there that is totally understandable and um i think you know we expected that uh, you know he had he had one long inning in particular i think he made about 30 32 pitches where they actually had someone up in the bullpen because there's that pitch mark milwaukee has where if you hit it you're gone um you know, and so I think it's just commanding pitches and, and doing things. But when you've had a long layoff like that and, and you know, let's face it. I know he'd been throwing down in Arizona, but throwing in extended spring is a lot different than throwing in an actual uh, ball game. Uh, but I think the main thing is he got his work in. Uh, you know he was able to throw all his pitches. Uh, he had some. He had some innings there where he looked. He looked pretty good. And I think it's just a matter of him getting you know several more starts under his belt to uh, kind of get back into game shape, if you will, for lack of a better word, and and uh, shake off some of the rust.
1: It's been an odd situation with him. He was going to have a rehab start, and then uh, had a situation where his wife gave birth, and there had been some complications prior to that, and obviously that takes uh, all precedent over uh, baseball, and then a week or so later, he comes back. I don't know if you've gotten the opportunity to talk to him or talk to anybody about it, but what's that process been like for him, kind of the, the start and stop nature of this entire rehab uh, period?
3: Well, you know, I, I have not actually gotten the chance yet to talk to him because he was supposed to pitch for us actually a week ago yesterday, um, and then obviously uh, he and the wife, you know, they had the twins, so he had to jet out of town. And he just got back into town, so I have not uh, really been afforded the opportunity to, you know, go down and and talk to him, you know, introduce myself and shake his hand. But, you know, I would imagine, I mean, baseball players, it's, they're all routine oriented. You play this game every day and and you got your little routine. So I'm sure part of Part part of the process for Jimmy, I'm going to guess, is just kind of getting back into the flow of that routine and doing his thing. And I know he's got a phenomenal work ethic, um, you know, and he's, you know, one of those guys who, you know, puts. uh, He's very serious about what he does in between starts and on game day. So I think it's just for people like that, it's just getting back into your routine, uh, getting comfortable with it. Um, You know, it seems like obviously there's no. Problems with the shoulder that I'm, you know, that I'm aware of. I think that's all fine, and and just getting the repetitions. I mean, that's what baseball is. You need reps, whether you're a hitter or a pitcher. And um, I think he's going to be fine. I mean, I have no idea how many starts he's supposed to make here. I'm not sure if he even knows or if Milwaukee knows. I think. how he feels and his performance will, will dictate a lot of that. I mean we love having him but obviously I know if you know he can get back to twenty seventeen Jimmy Nelson, I mean the Brewers could use that uh like in a heartbeat, you know that as well as I do. So uh we'll enjoy him while he's here, but you know, I don't know like I said, I haven't had a chance to talk to him yet and I, I hope to here in the you know next couple of days when I actually settle down and Uh, have some time. We've had some bad weather and we had a suspended game Friday and we just got in, you know, flew took a, you know, middle of the night or, you know, 4am flight or whatever it was from Iowa to get here and then had a suspended game and then made it up today, so it's kind of been a whirlwind for me. I, I haven't really been able to get down to the clubhouse and, and spend much time talking to guys the last couple of days just because it's been a crazy schedule.
1: You mentioned whirlwinds, kind of that for the organization last year. First, we found out Colorado Springs would not be a AAA market. There's dominoes that fall. The PDC's being signed last year. It ends up that uh, the Brewers stay with the, the Sky Sox organization, but they move to uh, San Antonio where there had already been a Double A team in the mission, so you already had uh, a business operation there which kind of stays put but uh triple a baseball new new organization can you just kind of take me through this entire process and what it's been like for uh the missions to become a team and become a brewers affiliate
3: well first of all we are really excited to be affiliated with milwaukee and i know the brewers were pretty excited um for the opportunity here I think in a way, I mean, certain things were probably, the transition was probably a little bit easier because the Colorado Springs team is owned by uh, the Elmore Sports Group, which also owns us. So there was already that uh, established relationship that they had for years. On top of that, the Elmore Sports Group owned the team in Helena, Montana, which was a Brewers uh, rookie club in the Pioneer League, which is now moving to Colorado Springs. So... There had been a relationship with the ownership group for for a number of years, so I think that made the transition a little bit easier. Uh, I think for us, uh, and, you know, I wasn't involved in in most of the details because of what I do, but uh, I think a little bit of it was eye-opening for us because there are certain things that, you know, in AA... For instance, you just have to worry about hiring a bus to bus you around the the Texas League. Here, it's a lot more detailed with planning out flights and then, you know, shuttles when the team's there to get them back and forth. And a lot of things that, that, you know, the uh, uh, management didn't have to worry about when we were in the Texas League. So I think it's been a learning experience, but uh, I think things have gone uh, pretty well. You know, the the team in the city, uh, both put money in to do a major uh, renovation on both the home clubhouse and they totally redid the indoor batting cage, which is phenomenal right now compared to what it used to be. Uh, and I know talking to our coaching staff, they they seem pretty happy and, and you know, they even told me the other day in a conversation that, you know, basically the front office has pretty much done everything that they have asked them to do. So, I mean, they're happy and I think the relationship is off to a good start, and uh, we're just excited to have Milwaukee and have an organization that wanted to be in, in San Antonio. And it's, um, you know, hopefully it's going to be the start of a long term relationship.
1: Though at one point in time, there seemed to be some maybe some fans out there that didn't want AAA baseball. They wanted Major League Baseball in San Antonio, and obviously San Antonio is a big league town with the Spurs and everything. Do, do you feel like the community has come around and embraced AAA baseball?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, there's always going to be that segment of the population that believes that, and and look, I, you know, for those people, I'm not going to say they're wrong because that's their opinion, and they're entitled to it. Um, I think overall the community the community reception has been extremely positive, and I think especially for those who come out to. Several games a year, not just you know, not necessarily season ticket holders, but people come out and and I think they really appreciate the the difference with AAA ball, and I think you can see it now that they can compare it to what they're used to watching. Um, look, I mean, San Antonio is a major market, but it's not. I think that what a lot of people out here miss who think that hey, this should just be you know, plop a major league team in here. There's a lot more that goes into it than just the size of the population. Um, you know, I mean, there's a, a long list that Major League teams would look at. I think at this point in time, San Antonio is just not quite a Major League market. It doesn't check off all the boxes. Yeah, it's got a huge population. That's part of it. But there's a lot of other things that go into the equation. I think the day will come where San Antonio will be a viable Major League market. But I think that in order for Major League Baseball to work here, you got to be able to tie in the corridor between here and Austin and kind of make it convenient for both cities to support a major league team. Because I don't think San Antonio alone can support a big league team, but I think if you put it in an area between San Antonio and Austin, it's convenient for people to get to as that corridor continues to grow. Now you're talking about a situation where it could work, but I, you know, I still think that's personally 15, 20 years down the road. And I know You know, Major League Baseball talking about expansion. I think Montreal would be at the top of the list. I know Portland's already got a group together Mm -hmm. up in, uh, you know, Portland, Oregon. I know uh, Charlotte's an attractive market. Uh, You know, Rob Banford, the commissioner of baseball, has already talked about internationally, you know, maybe going to Mexico. So honestly, if Major League Baseball expanded, say, in the next five years, I don't think San Antonio would be on the list. I think there's other cities that would be more attractive to Major League Baseball for various reasons, but I think San Antonio one day will be a viable market. But uh, getting back to what you said, I think from what we've seen through social media and from, you know, just the attendance numbers, I think for the most part, the community is pretty pumped up about AAA baseball. And, you know, you've got guys who, and not just for us, but the teams we play, I mean, there are guys who've had substantial big league time to work. People who at least follow major league baseball a little bit can come out and say, oh, yeah, I've, I've heard of that guy um whereas in double a you know like we had fernando tatis junior last year phenomenal player right he's you know i know he's on the of san diego but when the season started no one most of our fans had no idea who he was he was just another double a guy but now you're talking about guys who have been to the big leagues to people who follow baseball can go oh, yeah i remember seeing him when i went to a ranger game last year yeah i remember seeing him play so it it's it definitely a big difference
1: Keston Hera putting up big numbers, so we're getting to the point where there's probably going to be clamoring some fans are already clamoring as we uh cross past the super two, which i don't think we're quite to yet uh there's going to be even more fans clamoring for him to get to the big league level. I know it's just a a month or so of baseball, but what have you seen so far from keston Hera
3: well, Kesten can hit okay there's <laughs> you yeah, know that was never a question uh he can flat hit uh you know, it's it's funny because about half of the, he, he uh, I think he's leading the PCL now in extra base hits, uh, 23 or 24 off the top of my head, and about half of them have gone the other way. Uh, first part of the year, uh, first couple, two, three weeks, he was doing a lot of chasing. Uh, I think it was just, you know, there's a learning curve when you get to AAA. It's a, it's a different level. Uh, Rick Sweet, our manager, has been the Brewers AAA manager for, what, the last six years, I think it was. I mean, he told me at the start of the year, he says, look in my opinion, AAA is the biggest jump a player is ever going to make. He goes, if you can if you can make it in AAA, you're almost always, not always, but most of the time, you can at least make it in the big leagues. It's not necessarily going to be a superstar or an all-star. So I think Keston was going through some of that, but you can see now he's becoming a little more selective at the plate. He's not chasing pitches. He was uh, earlier in the year. Uh, he's been on a roll uh last 10 games or so in particular with uh, – you know, hitting and and extra base hits. I think you know defensively, there's still work to do. And I think the main reason he's down here, and uh, I believe you know, uh, Craig Council said it, Stern said it in spring training. They want to see him be able to do things, certain things at second base consistently. And he needs the innings. And I think what fans don't understand is just because a guy might be hitting 350 doesn't mean he's necessarily ready for the big leagues. You know, it's like if you took a souffle out of the oven a half hour earlier, would it really be as good? Eh, probably not. You need to, you got to give it a little bit of time and make sure that he can do things consistently because. With any player in the minor leagues, there's a lot of guys who have the talent and are just as talented as guys in the big leagues. Some maybe even have more talent. The difference is being able to do something consistently every single time, and that's why guys are in the minor leagues. And until they can prove that, they're going to be here. That being said, I think Keston is going to be fine. He's made some really nice plays second base, and uh, I think down the road, uh, you know, Fans in Milwaukee are going to love him because a kid, it, he can flat hit. It's you know he's he's got a gift that I wish I had. He
1: uh, the the team acquires David Freitas and uh, a veteran catcher, a really good insurance policy to have at A. Jacob Nottingham is there as well, and we'll talk more about Nottingham in a moment. But uh, Freitas, from an offensive standpoint, putting up big numbers, hitting three sixty eight. I have to assume he's doing a pretty good job uh, defensively as well. Uh, what has his impact been on this club?
3: Oh, he's been tremendous. You know, he's—I uh, don't know what his exact numbers are, but he's—I uh, think he's hitting like high three hundreds with us. And you know, he just—he, you can tell looking at him and his approach at the plate that he's a guy who's been playing this game for a while. You know, he's got forty, forty-five big league games of experience under his belt. But just his approach at the plate, uh, the way he goes about his at bats—you know—he had a great AB the other day in Iowa. Uh, team lost the game, but uh, I think at the time it was about the seventh inning, and uh, it was either tie game or uh, we had just scored a run and had a guy in scoring position. He came up in a spot where, like in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I've been so used to watching double-A hitters, and a lot of them will go up there and just swing away trying to hit it out. Infield was in. He took just a beautiful, nice, short uh, compact opposite field swing, boom, hit a ground ball. They got through the right side for an RBI single. And I thought, that is a professional at that. That's a guy who's been around a while and knows what he's doing. Uh, Freitas has always been a guy who's gotten on base. Uh, he's hit well, especially at the AAA level. He's a veteran. Uh, Catching-wise, I think, you know, he and Nottingham have kind of been shuffled back, flip flop between first base and catcher. Uh, you know, I think Freitas was, was acquired as a depth piece. You know, in case they need him in the big leagues. Uh, but I, th- he's, uh, I think he's a great guy to have around. He's another veteran who I think, because we have a lot of young players on this team for a triple A team, I think having a guy like Freitas. And, you know, like a Saladino and a Spangenberg, it's a nice combination to have for some of those younger guys who are just getting their feet wet at AAA. But Freitas has been a tremendous addition for this team.
1: Everybody keeps an eye on Corey Ray, and he hasn't played in a while. He got injured, and then uh, I know birth of a, a child, I believe, has happened recently. Uh, his offensive number's not great so far. What's the uh, – should he be back in the lineup soon? What's What's his status here at the moment?
3: Yeah, well, he came off the IL and he was supposed to be in the lineup on, uh, I guess it was Friday, our first game back home after the Iowa series. And then it was, uh, actually we had him on the pregame show. And then not long after that, he found out his, his wife was, it's like, hey, get back home. Our, our son is coming. So he had to, you know, jet back to Arizona. Uh, he had been on, he had, uh, I guess hurt a finger in spring training and then, uh, uh, mid, Mid-April mid when we were in Memphis, he made a diving uh, catch in the outfield and kind of re-aggravated the injury, and they thought, you know, let's just IL him to make sure the thing totally heals. Uh, he had actually uh, was probably his three or four games before he went on the IL. He started coming around a little bit, uh, and I think, again, for him, this is a kid with a ton of talent who's getting his first taste of AAA, and there's that uh, natural learning curve. That everyone goes through, and and it's you know it's a steep curve when you get up to this level. But he started showing some signs of coming around. Uh, I would imagine, and I don't know how long he's going to be out. You know, with his uh, with his newborn son. Might be a few more days, but you know I would expect since he hasn't played since mid-April that coming back there might be a little bit of rust he'll have to shake off. But I mean, look, this kid had a big year last year in the Southern League, and you know Double A is well, it's not Triple A, it's still upper levels of the minor leagues, and and, you know he can play some great D, and the guy can hit for power, and I think the team's kind of missed having. You know, him in the lineup, and I would expect him to end up being fine this year. But I think what, you know, people look at the numbers and they just see, well, he's hitting, you know, 100 something or whatever it is, but they don't realize that he's actually showing some signs the last few games before he went on the IL of, of coming around and so that's a positive thing I think
1: we ask you about somebody who's actually on the major League roster right now but as we record on Sunday evening hasn't appeared Birch Smith got called up and uh, the Brewers had the 18 inning game on Saturday he got called up there's an open spot in the rotation for the Brewers on Tuesday we really don't know who's going to pitch then it, it today the fact that they were able to get a long start from Davies probably plays into that maybe it's Smith maybe it's not but uh, what your Brewers fans know about a guy who, quite honestly, not many Brewers fans knew much about Birch Smith before hearing his name uh, on Sunday.
3: Well, you know, here's the funny thing. Now, Birch was drafted by the Padres, and he came to us back in 2013, his first taste of Double I think he made six starts and had like a one ERA or something ridiculously low, and then he got pulled up. Uh, I think he might have gone straight from A to the big leagues and then went back to A. So, I mean, I saw Birch back when he was an up and coming prospect and, you know, he had the Tommy John and then he had the setback with the little fracture in the elbow. Um, Birch to me, from what I've seen, looks kind of like the Birch I saw six years ago. I mean, his velocity has been, you know, uh, 90, 94, 95, sometimes, you know, 93, 95. Uh, he, he's off to a good start. Um, you know, very stingy, has barely given up any hits. To me, he looks like the Burt Smith I saw in 2013, and that's great to see because, you know, he, he had a long battle back, two years with the injuries, not knowing if he would ever pitch again. And, uh, you know, it was with Kansas City last year, and the numbers weren't really good, but it was his first year back. But um, I'm interested to see. I don't know what kind of role they're going to use him in, Milwaukee or how long you know if it's considered a temporary move i guess obviously if you play well a temporary move can be long term but you know i'm excited for birch because seeing what he did back in the day before he got hurt and and looking like he's kind of back to the old birch smith i saw um you know the guy's got a good arm um and he's back from he's back from injury i mean he's two years back now and uh, you know, I'm hoping he grabs this opportunity by the horns and, and whatever role we have for him, whether it's starter or reliever, he's able to do it. And while we'd love to have him back at the same time, we'd love to see him stay, uh, stay in Milwaukee. But he's, he's a good pitcher. Uh, I just, you know, I don't know, you know, what Brewer fans can expect other than a guy who, you know, he throws hard, his, his off-speed stuff is good, and, and he was getting the job done for us for sure.
1: We'll wrap this conversation up with a conversation or a question about one more guy and that's top pitching prospect in Zach Brown. His ERA is at 4.18. However, he has given up three runs or less in four of his six outings. He just has a six-run outing, his most recent one, and a four-run outing as well. So maybe that ERA is a little bit more inflated uh, than what you would actually think it is based off of his numbers. He's another guy that Brewers fans really want to see, kind of like Keston Hira. Is he also a guy who probably could use a little bit more time at AAA?
3: Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, again, Zach, he's getting his first taste of AAA baseball, and I think that uh, maybe some 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 of your listeners may know this, others don't. Uh, you know, AAA baseball that starting this year is using the Major League Baseball, which is a. According to players who've been you know, in the major leagues, they say that the big league ball is slicker and harder. And I think you know, you've know, you seen a lot of home runs. Uh, the AAA home run rate is way, way up. Offense is up. And the PCL, not like the PCL needed more <laughs> help on offense because it's already a hitter's league. So I think some of the numbers you see maybe with some of the home runs hit by Blairs and given up by pitchers and some of the other things is probably, uh, there's probably a correlation there with the baseball they're using because the... Old baseball that's being used in Double A and in the lower levels is the regular minor league ball that everyone used up through last year. Didn't travel quite as far, so I wouldn't necessarily put a whole lot into some of the stats. But, uh, you know, Zach has all the tangibles. I think it's just for him getting the experience and learning how to pitch to hitters at this level, you know, guys, even in double, A, good hitters are going to chase more than they are here. Uh, I think in his last start that I saw his fastball command was not real good. And obviously if you're going to be a big league pitcher, you've got to be able to command the fastball like every single time. Uh, I think he's going to be fine. But, you know, he needs more time. I mean, he's not ready now, but he's going to be fine because he has all the tangibles, I think, that scouts look for. He's got the the competitiveness. You know, he's not afraid out there. It's just a matter of getting repetitions. And, you know, maybe he comes up late this summer in September, maybe not. But I think he's a guy who's going to be part of the, uh, the Brewers' plans and, you know, maybe even next year.
1: Mike, if somebody wants to uh, take in your broadcast, uh, whether it's just the audio version or uh, what you guys do with uh, MILB-TV, what's the best way for people to uh, take in San Antonio Missions Baseball?
3: Well, as far as the audio, if you just go to samissions.com, there'll be a link there where you can uh, listen live uh that is uh, i believe that's still free to do uh i know there's also an uh milb uh, .com app where you can access the audio broadcast uh for the for the tv feed there is a subscription fee but i think it's nominal i think minor league baseball it's like 40 bucks a year uh which is nothing uh and you can watch the games by going to the milb.com website and clicking on the you know the video link for whatever that is uh, watch MILB TV and click on it uh, for the TV thing they they always use the home feed so like if we're on the road it'll be the other team's broadcaster and their cameras and all that but uh, at the very least if you want to listen in it's free and uh, samissions.com would be the easiest way to to access the uh, the radio feed
1: you can also follow Mike on Twitter at Sa Missions Radio. Mike, thanks so much. Uh, look forward to doing this uh, occasionally throughout the course of the year. But uh, yeah, really do appreciate you taking some time.
3: Hey, no problem. I, my pleasure, Matt. You uh, you have a great week, and uh, thanks to all you. Uh, Brewer fans out there for tuning in and uh, look forward to chatting with you again sometime down the road.
1: Mike Sager joining us here on Brewers X-Trainings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. We really appreciate him taking some time and giving some uh, insight into uh, what's going on uh, at the Brewers AAA affiliate in San Antonio. Our conversations uh, with the AAA broadcaster have uh, always been a little bit different than some of the others because a lot of these guys are going up and down. It's more about sometimes getting a status update on uh, guys who we expect to see or who just went down, and we'll do that throughout the course of the year. But that you go look at that missions roster – we didn't get into all of them. We kind of, uh, you know, you have a finite amount of time uh, that, that I'm going to ask from folks, but uh, that's filled with. We're we're gonna be. We're, we have a lot of guys to talk about in future conversations with uh, with Mike Sager because there's a lot of thirty guy, thirty man, uh, or top thirty uh, prospects at San Antonio. That is what I'm trying to uh, spit out here as we start to come to the end of this podcast. I'm telling, I'm still having the after effects of. The 18-inning, five-and-a-half-hour game. It was really odd leaving the ballpark after I think we uh, wrapped up the postgame show at about 1 o'clock in the morning, and uh, it did not feel like that much later that we were walking back in for Sunday's afternoon uh, game. But that's all right. That's fun. That's what it—it's you experience those things over the course of a baseball season, and uh, don't take that as me complaining. Take that as me sitting and saying it was just different. It felt kind of weird, and uh, that's okay. This is what's on tap this week for the Brewers. Their their long stretch of days without uh days off is going to come to an end. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday they'll welcome in the Washington Nationals. That is going to wrap up uh the extended home stand where they played 4 against the Rockies, 3 against the Mets and now 3 against the Nationals. Monday and Tuesday will both be 640 first pitches, and then they will wrap up with a 12-10 game on Wednesday afternoon. Thursday is an off day, and then they're going to play a series in Chicago this upcoming weekend. Friday and Saturday are both going to be 120 starts, and then Sunday, this is weird, Sunday's going to be a 605 start. So generally, you play... Uh, an evening game on Saturday and an afternoon game on Sunday. It's the opposite of that next weekend. They're going to play an afternoon game on Saturday and an evening game on Sunday. That's going to be a Sunday night baseball game. That's why they are playing uh, so late on Sunday. Uh, But that's going to be uh, what's coming up, and then they'll head to Philadelphia for a four-game set against the Phillies. Just a reminder for you. If you tune in to WTMJ looking for the Brewers and you hear Bucks playoff basketball, you can switch on over to sister station 945 ESPN FM and you'll find the Brewers game there. And not only that, we've got the Brewers Extra Innings post-game show on 945 ESPN FM as well. I've mentioned this before, but I'll mention it again in previous years and all my and all my previous years uh, doing the post-game show. When we have moved a Brewers game to ninety four point five FM, whether it was because of Bucks playoffs or whether it was a Packers game, it was a country station. So the idea was just get that game on and then get it off, and uh, you'll uh, just do it as fast as you can. New ownership, new uh, new everything, and a new station. in The fact that is now a sports station. And we do do the post-game show on 94.5 FM uh, after the games that air over there, which makes me happy because I like doing the show as often as possible. And we are now doing it more often there. So good stuff all the way around. All right, that's going to do it for this week's edition of Brewers Extra into the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Uh, Appreciation going to both of my guests this week, Kyle Loebner joining us and uh, Mike Sager, the voice of the San Antonio Missions. We look forward to talking to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile.
0: Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to the home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.